WTBN Pinellas Park. If it's been a while since you've worshipped at your local church, they invite you back. Attend services this week. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. During Old Testament times, God's name was profaned amongst the pagan nations. It had already been profaned by the Jewish people in their own land, and so God sent them out. And wherever they went, they still continued to profane the name of God. They didn't honor him as God. The Apostle Paul says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Gentiles evaluated the God of Israel by evaluating the lifestyle of his people. And they were not impressed. Their attitude was, why should we honor this God? Why should we honor Jehovah when his own people don't honor him? After all, if he was as great as they verbally tell us, then what are they doing dispersed in our land? Why aren't they in their land? They have rebelled against him. He can't be that great or else they would have lived in a way that reflects his greatness. But all they saw amongst the Jewish people was rebellion and disobedience. I can identify with the opinions of those Gentiles. When I was a young teen, one of my best friends was beaten up by three older boys whom I thought were Christians. In retrospect, they were probably not Christ followers, but only God knows for sure, and I certainly didn't know what was in their hearts except for the evidence they showed in giving my friend a bloody nose, a cut lip, and a black eye. That event poisoned my opinion of Christianity for many years. May God help us to never dishonor Him in such a way. It's been well said that for many people, we may be the only Bible they will ever read. It's good to have you here with us today for another learning experience with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 25 years. His expository teaching at Lakeside has developed into verse-by-verse ministries and this radio Bible class. Pastor Steve is leading us through an in-depth study on the Lord's Prayer. Today we are listening to the middle part of his second of six messages on the subject. The Lord's Prayer is so beautiful that countless people have memorized it over the centuries. Yet it's more than an eloquent prayer, it's, it's a tool that we can use to help us be more effective prayer warriors. Now, if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we prepare to dig into the Lord's Prayer and see what we can learn to help us in our prayer lives. And here is Pastor Steve. The first thing that we ought to concern ourselves with in praying is that God, who's revealed himself by his name, would be hallowed. In other words, before ever thinking about ourselves, our first consideration in in coming to God should be that he be treated as the hallow one, that he be treated as hallowed. And that brings us to our second key word. Our second key word is hallowed. Jesus said that when we pray, we are to hallow his name, meaning we are to hallow who he is. But we won't know what that means or how to apply that unless we understand what hallowed means. Now, as I said before, the word hallowed, it, it's an archaic English word. It's, it's an old-fashioned word that isn't used much today, but it's a very important word. It comes from a Greek word meaning to make holy. 
That's what the word means, to make holy. And the basic thought behind the phrase to hallow is to treat as holy, to honor, to reverence, to respect. So when Jesus said that our prayer should be marked by hallowing God's name, he was saying in essence that when you pray to your heavenly father, you must first of all, above everything else and before everything else, be concerned that others recognize him for who he is and therefore treat him as holy and special. Did you get that? That's what he's talking about, that we would treat him and we would be praying that others treat him as holy and special. See, folks, Jesus isn't saying that in our prayers, we should be asking God to make himself hallowed. God can't make himself any more holy than he is. In fact, it would be the height of heresy to pray for God to be more holy. That would be saying that he wasn't fully holy. He's already holy. He's always been holy. And he can't become more holy than he is. And while the Bible commands us to be holy, we're to grow in holiness. God has always been by nature intrinsically holy. That's the way he is. We become holy. He is holy. However, not everyone recognizes that, right? In fact, the world doesn't recognize that. The unsaved do not recognize God as holy. They're not interested in him. They're not interested in his holiness. They don't care about him. They're not concerned about him or his standards of righteousness. Rebellion, hatred, anger, hostility, hardness of heart, defiance, those are accurate terms that describe the world of unbelievers' attitude towards God, how they respond to his holy name. Now, it's true that they might make a big fuss about making sure that the Ten Commandments are on public display, but for the most part, there's very little concern about obeying those Ten Commandments, which express God's holiness. If we put all the zeal that we have into into uh, the zeal that's put into where we display the Ten Commandments, if we put it into obeying it, that would be far better. And so when Jesus tells us to pray, hallowed be your name, he doesn't mean that we should use those precise words as we come to the Lord. But watch this. What he means is this, that in speaking to God, we should always make sure that we are asking him to change people's lives, to change people's hearts, so that those who previously have not treated him as holy would now treat him as holy and give him the reverence and respect and glory to his name. This is a prayer for people. This is a prayer to to ask the Lord to change people, to change the hearts of people. So practically speaking then, to pray for his name to be hallowed means praying for people to change. It's not praying for God to be any more hallowed. He can't be any more hallowed than he is. It means that we are asking God to work in the lives of, of people to transform them so that they will be changed from defying him to worshiping and glorifying him. Now, now, really, that's an, a, the essential principle behind praying, hallowed be your name. That's the principle. We pray that, that God will change lives so that those who have not hallowed him like they should will. So practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we implement this? How do we put into practice the principle of praying along these lines so that we are obedient to Christ and we are following his commandment to pray that the Father's name be hallowed? Seems to me the way to observe this is to pray for two types of people to hallow God's name. First of all, we should be praying for believers, and that includes ourselves. We should be praying for believers to be hallowing his name by being obedient to him in every aspect of life. Listen, 
You and I have struggles in the Christian faith. We have struggles in life. Otherwise, you'd be a perfect individual. We ought to be praying specifically for those things we struggle in, those things that we do not give glory to God in because we, we struggle, we give in to temptation. That's how we ought to be praying. These are the things that we need to lift up to the Lord so that our lives would be obedient unto him. And through that obedience, God would be hallowed. But it goes beyond that. The reason we need to pray for obedience in the, obedience in the lives of believers is, is not just because God is pleased when we obey. Certainly that is critical, but it goes beyond that. The reason we ought to be obedient to him is also because unbelievers get a glimpse of who God is from our behavior. See, whether we like it or not, the Lord is evaluated based on on the way we conduct ourselves, the way we move in this world, the way the way we behave in a dark in a dark and and sinful world and amongst that kind of generation. See, those who claim to know Christ, those who claim to know him as his followers, we represent him in the world and we represent him to the world. They're not picking up a Bible, reading it. They're not coming to a church, studying the scriptures. The only view they have of God is the view they get from you and and from me and how we behave, how we handle ourselves at work, our marriages how we handle ourselves in our in our business dealings, things of that nature. That's why Paul told Titus in Titus 2.10 that we are to adorn the doctrine of God. What do you mean by that? What he meant, not, not that we walk around spouting off doctrine to everybody, but that's to say that we wear the truths of God in the way that we behave. We're to wear them out amongst unbelievers so that the world will take note that, that God transforms sinners like us by the attractive way that we live. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to be attractive for our sakes, but for his sakes, that we live attractive lives by being obedient to his word. And some will recognize, it's certainly not all, not even the majority, but some along the lines will recognize this, and God is going to use your testimony to bring them to faith in Christ. This is precisely what Jesus was referring to back in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've already studied, chapter 5, verse 16. Look at that, if you will. Verse 16, he said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. In scripture, light always refers to the true knowledge of God and darkness refers to error, ignorance. What Jesus is saying is that when we live our lives in such a way that the true knowledge of God is seen through our good works, some will recognize that God has transformed us, that he's the one who's producing these good works, that these works are a result of, of his transforming grace in our lives. Some will recognize it, that God is has the one who's the one doing this through a life that has been changed through conversion, and they'll glorify him by coming to faith in him. That's what he means. Some will be so impacted by your life and my life that it will have a profound influence upon their salvation. Peter said essentially the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 12. He said basically the same thing. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, it means the Gentile unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. When God visits them, 
with conviction of sin, some of them are going to come to faith because they've observed your life and good deeds. So, folks, here's the challenge that we need to tackle by our prayers. This is why prayer is work. It's not fluffy words that we just throw up to the Lord. Prayer is work. Here's what has to be tackled by our prayers. When we don't live as believers in a way that honors God, the world takes note of that too. And it brings disgrace on the name that we want to be hallowed. The name that God wants to be hallowed. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the program the bad example I witnessed as a teenager that soured me on Christianity for many years. On the other hand, we have the opportunity to be living examples of the power of God to transform us into people whom others will want to emulate. I'm reminded of a time in the factory where I used to work. A believer was being verbally abused by someone, but he kept calm and never lost his temper. Another worker saw that exchange, and it haunted him for years. Finally, when his life was a mess, he was at the end of his rope. The unsaved man asked a Christ follower what it was that made that kind of patience possible. That was the day that fellow accepted Jesus Christ. And an important step in the process was the godly example of Christian patience that he saw years earlier. Hi, we're glad you could join us today. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been exercising his gift of expository preaching at Lakeside Community Chapel since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries grew out of a passion to make his clear, practical teaching available to a wider audience. Lakeside Community Chapel also has one of the finest Christian schools around. For over 30 years, Lakeside Christian School has been providing high-quality Christian education for grades K-5 through 12. Lakeside's purpose is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ by preparing students for college, career, life, and eternity. The website is lakesidechristianschool.org. That's lakesidechristianschool.org. Well, I think Pastor Steve is about ready to resume his teaching. So let's get back inside and get ready for the conclusion of today's lesson. And I'd like you to keep your place here in, in Matthew, but let's go back to the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore, I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land, because they had defiled it with their idols. Also, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name, because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they, they have come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Keep your place here for a moment. During Old Testament times, God's name was profaned amongst the pagan nations. It, it had already been profaned by the Jewish people in their own land, and so God sent them out. He dispersed them. It's known as the captivity. He sent them into Gentile nations. And wherever they went, the Bible says, with what Ezekiel is saying, they still continued to profane 
the name of God. They didn't honor him as God. Israel refused to, to honor her master. The Apostle Paul picks up on this very truth in Romans 2, 24, when he says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, the Gentiles evaluated the God of Israel by evaluating the lifestyle of his people. And they were not impressed. They were not impressed. Their attitude was, why should we honor this God? Why should we honor Jehovah when his own people don't honor him? After all, if he was as great as they verbally tell us, then what are they doing dispersed in our land? Why aren't, in, why aren't they in their land? They have rebelled against him. He can't be that great or else they would have lived in a way that reflects his, his greatness. But all they saw amongst the Jewish people was rebellion and disobedience. And God says, my name has been profaned. Now, the passage continues with verse 22. A huge gap of time exists between verse 21 and verse 22. Starting with verse 22, we're now given a glimpse of a, a future date, the end of the tribulation period, when God will, re, will establish a new covenant with Israel in which he will bring the nation to himself. A nation will be converted. They'll have a changed heart. They'll, they'll be transformed. This is conversion. Notice verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. So God is saying, I'm not doing this primarily for you. I'm doing it for my name. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. And how is God going to do this? I'll take you, he says, from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. This is regeneration. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances and you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so you will be my people and I will be your God. What a great statement. This is a reference, as I said, to a future date when God is going to change the the lives of the Jewish people. He's going to bring them to himself. They're going to be born again as a nation. And then he says, and notice that at that time, the Gentiles will also recognize God for who he is, the Holy One, because Israel, transformed Israel, will finally behave as God's people should behave. And the Gentiles then will, will some at least, will then recognize God for who he is as well. Now, even though this speaks of a future time, at the end of the tribulation, when Israel is converted, it still illustrates an important truth that's relevant today. The unsaved people, unsaved people of this world ought to be able to look at the lives of converted people, you and me, and not be turned off to Christianity by our behavior. That's what this is talking about. Folks, this is a very practical truth, very practical. It affects every one of us in practical ways that we may not even realize. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to the New Testament. 1 Timothy 6.1. 1 Timothy 6.1. I want you to know whether you realize it or not, an unsaved world is looking at you. 
How you behave in your home, you think it's uh, just between my wife and myself, just between my husband and myself. No, no, it's not. It's not. You think what I do at work, that's only between the Lord and me. No, it's not. Look at 1 Timothy 6.1. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that, here's the reason, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Slaves were to treat their masters, respond properly, respectfully, submissively, so that, he says, the name of God and what we teach would not be spoken against. Now, we don't live in a culture of slaves, but we do live in a culture of employees to employers. How you conduct yourself at work has a direct bearing on whether God's name is honored or not. If you're lazy, you don't put in enough hours. If you criticize all the time, if you have a bad attitude, if you don't listen to your boss, if you, a number of things, whatever it is. If, if you don't behave properly at work, then others, unsaved, are not going to hallow God's name. Their, their attitude is going to be, well, if he's a Christian and he has that kind of attitude, I'm not interested in hearing about his faith. If he's not honest, if he doesn't have integrity, why do I want to hear about his faith? What, what good does it do? It's nothing. And so God's name is not hallowed. Two books over, Titus chapter 2. Look how practical this, this gets. Titus 2, beginning at verse 3. Older women. Now notice he didn't say old women, folks. He said older women. I don't know what that exactly means. But it means that, I know this, it means that it's an older woman older than somebody. Mature women. Likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. How a Christian woman behaves in her home, how she conducts her life, how she uh, handles her marriage, the way she raises her children, how she responds to her husband, all have a bearing on whether God is honored or, or dishonored, whether he's hallowed or not hallowed. So please don't think that whatever goes on in your life doesn't really affect other people. It does. More importantly, it affects God. It has far-reaching implications. You cannot sin in a vacuum. Whatever, wherever you fall in your life, wherever I fall, it affects God's name being hallowed. And so if we know this, then how should we be praying? If we know this, how should we be praying? First of all, we should be praying for our own personal holiness. There are things in our lives that need to be right. Praying for our own holiness to hallow God's name in our own lives and so others would also hallow his name. It also means we pray for the holiness of other Christians. Where we see other Christians not living the way they should, we have a responsibility to pray that they would. And we need to be very specific. And that means we are tangible, we are specific in asking God to help these believers to obey him in the various areas of life, like marriage, work, the way we handle stress, adversity, moral purity, the way we speak to people that will be gracious and kind and patient with our words, financial dealings, honesty. Thanks for joining us today for another Verse by Verse. 
Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our instructor as we attempt to plumb the depths of the Lord's Prayer. We still have a long way to go, as you can tell. But we plan to keep on exploring this marvelous tool the Lord has given us to help us communicate better with Him. Our next class will conclude this second message of six in the series. We hope to have you here with us for that. If you want to listen again to today's class and you have internet access, we're just a couple of mouse clicks away. Point your browser to versebyverseradio.org. You can listen to today's broadcast or subscribe to our free podcasting service. Spend some time there if you have the time and you can learn more about Verse by Verse Ministries. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to listen to this entire message all at once, it is available on CD or cassette. You can order it by calling 727-441-1714. Please leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. Please remember that the faithful prayers and generous 